0: mom of two hi i'm kate mom of one and i'm ivy mama to be
1: and this is
0: go Go for parents
1: (laughs) we're here with kate adair one of my dearest dearest friends and the vice president of the costume designers guild kate why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself so everyone knows who you are
2: uh, well, I'm a costume designer. Um, I uh, was born in England. Uh, my father was in the Royal Air Force, so we lived all over the world, including Colorado Springs when I was five, uh, Cyprus. Um, I was a really bad asthmatic. I'd left, missed two years of school before I was nine years old, which I, actually, Ivy, I don't know that you know. And no. uh, as a result, um, actually ended up at an international school in Switzerland uh, on a scholarship because that was about the only place I could breathe. Um, and I always just loved making things. I'm also clinically dyslexic, uh, not chronic, um, but so I, m- the gift I got out of that um, is a very strong visual memory. Um, so I can match, it's still really annoying to some of my crew, I can match colors. I read slowly, but I retain everything. Um, and I think um, I started making things at a very small age. Um, I was an only child. We were always traveling. I spent a lot of time by myself. And uh, even when I was bedridden, uh, my mother would give me art projects. So I drew. Um, I cut up sheets, um, I made mice out of chamois leather and stuffed them with pillow, you know feathers out of my pillow.
0: Um,
2: I was generally fairly destructive if there was any fabric, wool, yarn, and my godmother was a children's dress designer. So I remember at a young age going up to London and going to amazing old-fashioned button shops and trim shops, and she used to do a lot of children's dresses out of Liberty Cottons, um, and French lace. It was pretty amazing and velvet ribbons. So I grew up around all of that. Um, I think one of your questions was, when did I know I wanted to be a costume designer? I think the bigger question would be, when did I not know I wanted to be a costume designer? Um, so I was always making things. It was always three-dimensional rather than two-dimensional. I did two years of um, foundation in art doing drawing and sculpture and pottery and stained glass and anything they threw at me in life drawing, which I hated. And although my godmother wanted me to go into taking over her business, uh, designing children's dresses, the world was changing. I mean, she, did, she dressed the royals and <clears throat> she had a very exclusive but small clientele but really beautiful, beautiful work. But I found it very constricting And my mother was quite theatrical. Uh, She had been gold medalist of her year at Guildhall in in England. So she had taken me to the theater at a young age. And I remember going up to London and seeing Peter Pan and going into one of those beautiful old jewel boxes of a Victorian theater and going up for the matinee in my fancy uh, Auntie Heli designed dress. And going to tea at one of the fancy tea rooms and then going to see Peter Pan. And I remember just being blown away. I mean, I went into this little jewel box and it was pouring with rain outside. And you came in and it was warm and it was cozy and it was red and it was velvet and it was gold. And the curtains opened and people were flying. I mean, it was just genius Um, so and and going into those different worlds and creating those different worlds and learning about those different worlds and those worlds always being different um, was a no-brainer for me so when I had to choose a specialization it was give me costume design so I did a terminal degree in set lighting and costume design specializing in costume design mostly because I had been making things and sewing since I was about five years old and so while I did do set construction and I could, I can draft and I understand a, a light plot. Um, and there was a lot of prejudice, I think that probably, st- well, there still is, um, about women being set designers. And so when I finished training, <clears throat> my parents emigrated to the States and I discovered that there was even more. um, resistance to women in set and lighting design in theatre than there was in costumes. I also knew that I could, if I had to, go into a workroom and tell somebody how to draft the pattern. So, hence, um, a lifetime of costume design. That's amazing.
1: So, after that, when did you meet David, your husband? <laughs> okay, so
2: I started on the East Coast, um, and I lived in Washington, D.C., and I designed, um, I was in, in the uh, East Coast Design Guild and the Broadway Guild. Um, I did regional theater. I did the um, a lot of children's programs at the Kennedy Center. Um, I designed a Shakespearean company for 10 years that toured all over the country. Uh, I did the Washington ballet. I did a number of the regional theatres. I did the Delaware Theatre Company. And then uh, film and television would come into Washington to do the beauty sites and the monuments. And my name sort of got dropped around that I could help because I understood clothes and costumes and local resources. So I sort of would get plopped into, I was also teaching part-time as well and designing wedding dresses on the side and anything else to pay the bills. Um, And I slowly drifted into film and television um, in bits and pieces, did a few independents. Um, I was part of the first film crew that went into the Capitol because they were doing a documentary on the Ways and Means Committee. Don't get me started. But it's pretty (laughs) cool to wander around the Washington Capitol at two in the morning with like three actors dressed in period clothes from, you know, the... uh, 18th and 19th century is pretty damn amazing. So I, I had some weird and cool experiences along the way from doing that and then I assisted another costume designer who came into town. My name got passed to her and I worked as her PA because I wasn't in the West Coast Guild and I assisted her on a movie and then a few years later she got a movie in France and I remembered that I was bilingual So she asked me to assist her on that. We ended up filming in Rome, bear with me. And when we finished, she said, you should try living in LA. So I rented out my tiny cottage, um, put my car on a truck and moved to LA. Um, And this is where I met my now present husband, David. I was not looking to get married. I was (laughs) not looking, I had been married before and through nobody's fault it had fallen apart and I was like okay been there done that I'll try LA I'll try film I'll try I can always go back to Washington and go back to theater and teaching and designing 27 projects a year um because I was pretty well dug in Um, anyway I got here um
1: and I've been here ever since all right, so you met David, you're living in Los Angeles. Are you working then in the film industry or television?
2: Yes, I'm, well, I, I got here, I knew two people. Uh, the friend who had t- talked me into moving here that I'd assisted twice, uh, got offered um, a, th- um, a half hour fl- but shot on film for television. So she set the look and wanted to go on to do a feature, which she did do, and she very kindly handed the project over to me. So I assisted her in setting the look, and then I ran with that. That finished, that got canceled. Um, I was sitting in a small apartment chewing my nails going, oh shit. Um, And it just happened to be a production designer who lived in the same tiny complex of apartments. And they fired the costume designer on the show that she was working on uh, five days before filming. And they pulled her into the office and said, do you know any costume designers that aren't working? And she said, well, the costume designer I would recommend is working, but there's this English girl living in the apartment building. And she seems to know what she's doing and she has a really solid theater background and she's assisted on this and this and she just moved to town. And I think the show she was doing just shut down. And literally the next morning, I had to walk in. She gave me the background of what they wanted the show to look like. I worked through the night um, and uh, took in boards. They hired me and I had a weekend and four days to set the look on a television show at Universal Studios. And I remember driving through the gates and going, holy crap, (laughs) I'm in Hollywood. (laughs) And I, I, I remember getting goosebumps. And the stupid thing about me is that still happens to me sometimes.
1: That's awesome. So how far along in your career did you then have Alexander, your son? So anyway, then
2: the, the, the production designer who um, it's kind of a sweet story. The production designer who recommended me for that job that I got was dating um, a television editor called David Solomon and David Solomon um, his mother and my now husband's mother, David Landau bumped into each other in a grocery store and they said, Oh, the boys should get together because they were tied at the hip as kids and they hadn't seen each other in more than 15 years and it just so happened my production designer friend was dating David Solomon the editor and they said why don't you join us for dinner and make it a foursome and I said no and she said come on and I said no and she said look bitch I got you the job I said no you didn't get me the job you got me in the door anyway long story (laughs) short I agreed to go to the to the dinner Um, I didn't, couldn't afford a cell phone at the time. It was still in the days of cell phones and pagers. Well, I couldn't afford a cell phone. My pager went off. We were at Cafe La Boheme. My pager went off. I went, oops, sorry, have to go back to work and left. And uh, the two Davids then had dinner, exchanged phone numbers. Uh, David Solomon gave David Lando my phone number. David Lando started leaving me messages. Six months later, he was traveling a lot. I finally called him in, by which time my production designer friend and David Solomon were no longer going out. Anyway, I keep getting these phone calls on and off. And finally, I, I called and said, look, I'm really sorry. There's been a terrible misunderstanding. I'm really not interested in dating. I'm sure that you're lovely. Um, but we've, we've both been sort of put in an awkward situation. And we started talking about travel. And he loved Europe and he'd been backpacking all over the world and he loved literature. And he said, well, will you have dinner with me? And I literally agreed to have dinner with him just because I was embarrassed that we'd both been put in that situation. And I met him at the restaurant. I didn't let him pick me up. He didn't have any other way of contacting me. Um, And I met him at 7.30 and at 11.30, they said, we're closing the restaurant. You need to get out the hell out of here.
0: Um,
2: (laughs) And that was the beginning of a a pretty wonderful relationship. Um, A year later, he invited me to go on holiday with him. I said, no. My mother gave me a suitcase, bought me a set of lingerie and said, go do it. It's two and a half, nearly three weeks. You will know at the end of that time whether this is gonna work or not. I said, whether what's gonna work. And she said, oh girl, come on. So my mother bought me the suitcase, she bought me the lingerie um we met in florence from florence we went to zermatt switzerland small side point i hadn't told him i knew how to ski and i'd been a ski instructor so that was a little awkward because he can ski but anyway that's another funny story that he i'm <laughs> sure would have a different perspective on um then from from florence and zermatt we went to milan from milan we went to london and it was, a, it was a great vacation. Um, a year later, he took me to Paris and asked me to marry him. And then he said, right, we're not getting any younger, let's do this. And so two months later, we got married in Switzerland. Oh. And two years after that, Alexander was born.
1: And were you working on anything when you found out you were pregnant?
2: Yes, I was. I was working on, on a television show that um, closed down. And I have to be honest, I I was looking through my notes. I don't remember why it shut down. Um, I do know that I was well into my second trimester at the time. We knew I was high risk. Um, I won't go into into the gory details, but I have interesting plumbing. I think Ivy knows this. Mm -hmm. Um, I have really unusual insides so it was actually a blessing in disguise because the third trimester i literally was laying on my side um and we managed i managed to get to the end of my 33rd week at which point they had to c-section alexander uh um and and get him out because he was running out of food and fluid which was nobody's fault um i had a great doctor I had a really positive support team. But what it did mean was that I had to go back to work almost immediately that he was born. And I think that the resources that are available now, he's now 24. So I would say from friends who've had babies since and from being a godmother to um, a number of children, my youngest goddaughter being now six, uh, the great thing that I do see is a huge, huge improvement in um, what you can find, what in terms of information, what you can find online, how uh, thanks to other women, um, the, the marketplace and the knowledge is changing and the perception is changing. I think there's still the dinosaurs out there, but I think they're dying off, which is great. It's really great. But I do remember somebody explaining to me about pumping in my car, my breast milk. And I remember just laughing hilariously at them as though they were completely out of their effing mind because the job I went back to was at Universal Studios. And I was like, I didn't have an office to myself. We all know the bathroom there. It's, you know, 115 degrees in the summer in your car. You can't run the car without it. At least I couldn't have run my old car. on top of everything else and pumped and not people having staring at me. They didn't have those cool bib things they have now. Um, so yeah, it was a whole different era. I sound like I'm 108, but.
1: sorry. Kate, I just have a follow up question to that. So you said that you had to go back almost immediately after he was born. And how, do you remember how that felt for you? Oh, it was horrible.
2: I'll be absolutely honest with you. It was really, really, really hard. First of all, I had a preemie. So when he was born, he was four pounds, two ounces. He went down to three, eight. Um, And um, so we had to feed him. Yeah, we had, and he was strong, but we had to feed him every three hours. It would take him an hour and a half to eat. So do the mathematics on that. I'm working, my husband's working and each of you are only getting an hour and a half sleep between sessions, if you do the math on it. My mum came to stay with us and and she was helpful. Um, I was lucky, my doctor who delivered him and helped me get him safely into this world, Um, she's a working doctor, brilliant, also taught at USC at the time and had five kids. And she said, and I said, Help. How have you done this? And she said, and she and actually a dentist friend of mine from a different perspective both said the same thing. Um, They said, it's not always how much time you spend with somebody, it's making sure that the time you do spend, you are truly present. So don't be on the phone when you're having a meal. Don't, um, nowadays, don't be on the computer, don't be on your tablet. When you have that time with them, have that time with them and have them be totally aware that they're the focus or that the family is the focus or that the family and the friends and the extended community are the focus. No television, no, no anything else. The other thing she taught me was to take off my T-shirt and put that in the crib Safely because it smelt of me. So even if, and the same with, and David did the same, so that even if you weren't there, especially when they were very tiny, they had the sense that you were there because their sense of smell is so strong. Um, And at the time I was like, yeah, okay. Two backups to that, which I think are really important, and I've tried to pass on to friends who've had kids who are working parents. My dentist had been married twice with her first daughter she ended up a single parent and she worked her way through dental school and she was talking to her adult daughter by her first marriage um who and they were chatting and she said well i did everything i could to be there for you and she said and her daughter said yes Mum, but you weren't there and she said what do you mean i wasn't there i took you to the playground we went to the ice cream shop she said, "Yeah, but you sat at a bench, and you worked and studied while I played. You weren't really there." And she said, "I'm not giving you a hard time about that because I know that's how you put food on the table. But don't tell yourself you were there for me because you weren't." And then that's what? Tough. the <laughs> was Yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. <laughs> oh oh
0: gosh. Mm-hmm. It was
2: really good. When he got to high school, um, the principal of the upper school pulled me aside um, when he was halfway through his junior year. And he said, I'm doing, um, I'm doing a paper about education. The principal of the upper school pulled me aside one day and he said, Kate, I have a question for you. I said, sure. What? Anything. He said, well, I'm, I'm doing I'm interested in writing another thesis on education. I said, okay. He said, do you guys sit down together for dinner? I said, yeah, we try to, even if it's just for five or 10 minutes, or if I'm running late, David and Alexander sit together, but then when I get home, I try and... I said, it's something a doctor told me when he was first born, and he smiled. And he said, do you have the computer on? And I went, no. He said, do you have your cell phone on? And I said, no, unless it's vibrate because there's nighttime filming. But I only, I have a code with my crew, so I only answer it if I have to. He said, do you have a TV in your dining room or your kitchen? I went, no, we just have one TV. It's in one room. We don't have it on very often. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, I thought so. I said, why are you asking me these questions? He said, I could lay a bet that I know of the 120 kids, there were 120 per grade in the four years of Alexander's High School. So I could lay you bets that I would have a 90 to 98% success rate of telling you which kids in the upper school of this high school have that same story that you have. It's hard, I won't lie. It's hard, but it is doable. It is doable. And don't let anybody, I know Ivy was told by a costume designer that if she ever got married and had a baby, she'd be on the horrible. It's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Yeah, you can do it. Bullshit. No, I'm looking forward to it. I think Jessica's a parent of two. Oh, no, go ahead. Kate has has, um, now a son who's, how old is Clay? 13 months. Congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. So I, yeah. <laughs> Kate knows I'm I'm like working through my 17th week. It's scary, but I, I just thought that we should have a conversation about it and not make it taboo and that we should be yep. allowed to work and figure it out and have yep. whatever the all is for each person. Right. You know I mean, but yeah, I'm sure yep. I, I can't imagine. It's going to be hard, but I, I think it's important, you know,
2: you know, um, I, and, and so you Kate,
1: make,
2: you make decisions that work for you. Right. Um, I did a lot, um, when he was very little and before he was born, I did quite a lot of film. Uh, when he was about three or four years old, I transitioned into more television. My career is probably different, but I wouldn't trade that because I have, I'm blessed with a really solid marriage and I think a kid that isn't too messed up. I know other designers who've made a different choice. They've done homeschooling. They've taken their kids all over the world. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a different experience because I had grown up moving every three years with my parents. For me, I wanted Alexander to have a state. What I felt was a stable childhood of his his rhythm and his continuity not being messed up because of my career. That's a choice I made. You could talk to another designer who has children who said, Oh my God, they had the most amazing time. I had them privately tutored or we homeschooled and we lived all over the world. And they would probably think that was amazing as well. So it's, it's a personal choice.
1: And I have another question going, going back to, Um, when you first had the, had Alexander, because I know when I had my kids, so now they're 12 and nine. Um, and I wasn't working in production, but I run a company that does work with productions. And so I know after they were born, I guess for the first like year or a year and a half, I went through a lot of like self-doubt and a lot of, I think it's the hormonal and lack of sleep, but it it made it really hard to work in the same brain, I just didn't feel like myself. And I've talked to a lot of other working moms who again, own businesses who can make decisions in a snap. And it's like, you kind of feel like you're crumbling. And do you remember any of those times? And then like, how did you help yourself get through it? Because I think, again, it's something that as women, we don't really talk about those postpartum months. And they're really, really hard. And it's not that we're depressed, but it's just it's it's such a huge, massive change in every part of your life, and so if you had any of those experiences that might that you'd be able to share, would be great.
2: Um, yeah, no, I th- I think um, yes, I did. So to answer your first question, yes, I did go through that, and um, and it's hard because you're right; it is a little taboo. You you don't want people to think that you're crazy. You don't want them to put you on antidepressants um because you don't need antidepressants you just need people to talk to and hold the hand of and Mm -hmm. um i tend to i tend to do my version of meditating in the car Mm -hmm. um if i needed to have a good cry i did it i just did it in private um i am a person of faith And um, again, I sort of transgress a bit, but I remember my father was a pilot towards the very end of the Second World War. And he told me about a study that was done in Europe um, shortly after the war on how people survived, whether they were um, prisoners of war, whether they were Holocaust survivors, um, whether they had been in the military whether they had been isolated as children and sent away from home and they did a broad spectrum and what they discovered at least this is what he told me was it didn't necessarily matter what your faith was it could be the trees they found that it was just as strong for some of the uh the Native peoples who had volunteered to be code breakers and things like that, as it was for people who were of a christian Juda- Juda- Judaic background or anything in between, but they did discover that people who had some faith base, some faith core statistically survived where others didn 't, okay. and that really stuck struck struck me and stuck with me. Um, So again, I think it's different for everybody. For me, uh, for me, it was prayer, it was meditation. Um, And trying to change gears in the car drives. People always complain about the traffic here in LA. I think actually the traffic here in LA can be a gift. I selected certain music that worked for me and I would just try and sort of mentally change gears Um, and also sort of compartmentalize things the same way we break down scripts, the same way we do research. So I tried to apply some of those things um, that we do for work, just personally.
1: Didn't always work. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. I know it's hard to, to talk about, but I think hearing other people and what they do, people get a lot of takeaway from that. And so Ivy, listen up. <laughs> I'm Working on it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why we're doing this, right? So we can help other people. And, and
2: walks, even now, um, while we're juggling this, I go for a walk by myself every day. And often my guys will be like, Can we come too or can we take the dog? And I'm like, those are two different things. One is just my quiet thinking, centering, calming time. And the other is yes, let's be a, a family and you know, go down the street with the
1: okay, dog. Okay, so so since you brought that up, I'm I'm sorry, Ivy, I'm I'm asking all these questions but. Keep, no, it's oh, a okay. giving it, <laughs> so many quite so Um, since you brought that up, how do you, without feeling guilty, because I'm sure Kate, the other Kate can attest to this and Ivy as well. Um, like, how do you take that time for yourself and give yourself that permission to say, you know what, I need this time for my walk for myself. And then we're going to have our other time together, especially when you probably have such a busy, chaotic day. So how do you, how do you, number one, give yourself the permission and number two, just to kind of plan out and schedule that time for everyone. Because I know for me, my time, sometimes I, I fit it in and squeeze it in. And I know at different ages, it might be easier, but I, I'm always trying to figure that out. How can I give myself that permission? Like these dishes don't need to happen, but I really need to go out and meditate or take that walk. So how, how do you do that?
2: Um, sometimes I don't manage it. So don't feel like, okay. you know, don't <laughs> feel you. like a failure. Sometimes I don't. Uh, sometimes I would stop the car halfway home because I knew once I got home, it was never going to happen. And then I would get frantic phone calls going, what happened? Are you in an accident? I'd be like, uh, no, (laughs) I was still needed on the set. (laughs) Um, Once in a while, I would shut the door of my office and just let my team know that I'd officially gone home. That's difficult. I'll be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, The car is a great gift. Mm -hmm. And um, when you're filming on location and your location and your office are in two different places, that can be a little bit of a gift. Um, Each job as we know is is different. when I was filming in Texas with a three hour time change, my son was in college. He still calls me regularly. Uh, my husband's in, in L- LA. I'm two hours ahead of them. Um, but a lot of our locations were an hour, an hour and a half away from the office. So I would often, because of the nature of my crew, finish the day on location. And because we were filming in the summer, you know, the sunlight was there and they could get magic hour until something annoying like nine o'clock at night. So then I would have this little tiny window after I'd finished making sure they were okay at nine at night. And it was an hour and a half back to where I was staying. I could budget in half an hour for myself. And then I could call David, who was two hours ahead of me. Um, or two hours behind me, and then talk to him for the hour so that by the time I got back to the flat. Here's what you need to remember. We're really smart and we're really good at multitasking and we're really good at thinking outside the box. It's why we do what we do. Because every single day they throw some ridiculous, stupid, unnecessary bullshit curveball at us. Every single day. And every single day, we're brilliant at solving those problems. So all you have to do, I think, or it's actually not that difficult, is you just make sure that in amongst solving those problems, you add, even if it's just 10 minutes. There's times when I've said, I need to go to the bathroom. (laughs) I'm sure we've all done that. And you just sit in the loo. In the, <laughs> in the store and you take <laughs> a deep breath and you know, you sing your favorite song or you recite your favorite poem or you go through some mantra in your head or whatever it is, you know, um, you pull up your favorite piece of music and put your ear in. in. Uh, it's doable. I think the biggest thing to Jessica's point um, is that, not feeling guilty about it. I'm aces at feeling guilty about that. I mean, literally I've been making making masks in between all the Zoom meetings um, about us trying to get back to work. And uh, Alexander said to me yesterday, No, no watering the garden, no pruning the roses, no cleaning up the kitchen, no laundry, just 10 minutes lay in the sun, just 10 minutes. I was like,
0: don't know if I can do that
2: <laughs> I have masks to make um, um I, I did it it was hard sometimes it's hard
1: mm-hmm. because we
2: also uh, um are caretakers and we're also solve you know problem solvers um right. and every age is different I thought when Alexander was going to be a little older it would be easier it's not they need mm-hmm. you more
1: no it's and it's more. I I find it's more mentally challenging. <laughs> so the problems are a little bigger or have more consequence. And so I don't know. Every stage is different. And it's mm-hmm. and it's. I don't. It's not more. It's just different. Yeah. Kate and I were talking about this the other day. How it's like every six months there's a change. So maybe yeah. the changes when they get older are a little bit farther stretched. But then they're more. You you have to think about it more. Yeah.
2: And you you, you, that figure, something, you figure something out and you're like, okay, good. I've solved, solved that one. That one's figured out.
1: Right. And then another <laughs> yeah. one
2: comes. So you're like, oh shit, that doesn't work yeah. anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Kate, I have a question for you. Um, As your son was getting older, how did you work childcare when you were working? Um,
2: Okay, that's another really good one. Um, And again, what works when they're tiny doesn't work later on. Um, For us, um, I, I think the adage of somebody who's either retired or somebody who is from the islands or somebody who's Hispanic were brilliant with Alexander when he was younger, because they're not always in such a rush. And I was very clear, you don't need to clean the house, you don't need to do, take him for walks, sing to him, play with him, let him explore the garden, let him pull the flowers up. You know, we, we never, I don't know why we didn't because it wasn't like we could afford it, but we never asked somebody who also cleaned and did laundry to look after Alexander and I was—we were very lucky to find um, somebody from Belize who was bilingual. Uh, she was in, um, she was fluent in English and Spanish, but English actually was her first language. And she was lovely. She was. She actually wasn't older, but she was. And they'd go for walks, and you know, she would sit, and we. And there was very little television. So there was reading in English and in and playing and drawing and making cookies and, and then um, once he got to preschool, we found a school that did have an after-school program and that had enough kids in it. Um, and then we, um, David had some flexibility, so that was good. I would sometimes have gaps between work and that was good The big challenge with that is phasing from one to the other. So they don't suddenly, when they're younger, they don't suddenly feel like you've dumped them. That's quite an interesting transition. So even when I wasn't working, even though it was a financial stretch, making sure that the continuity was still a little bit there for him so that he didn't suddenly feel like mommy didn't love him anymore. Um, And then actually, once he got to kindergarten, again, there was an after-school program, but we found... Um, through Mount St. Mary's College, but you can find them through all the colleges. We found um, a student Um, and she was actually training to be a nurse. The family lived in Santa Monica. Um, She was American of Scandinavian heritage and she was looking for a part-time job, but she didn't want to be a waitress. And so that worked really well because she would um, pick him up from school and um, she'd pick him up from school and if he had a little bit of homework or colouring, she could do her homework and they would would play together. And um, so she looked after him until he got a little older. And then again, wherever possible, we did after school. But I don't know that many people talk about that, but finding a good responsible college student can actually be a great way to go um and they're they're often very grateful because they don't either have they don't necessarily, they want some flexibility and then it was great because then we could use her for babysitting in the evening
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and child care in the evening so um We didn't need as big a pool. I was also lucky because the school he went to, a number of the parents used to be working parents. There was one parent in particular and two teachers. There were two teachers who became really close friends and still are. And then there was one parent who had run Speedo and then her husband had managed to make a ton of money and she'd retired. And they'd had a third child sort of unexpectedly. And Jamie's still a really good friend but she understood it because when her older girls had been younger she had been in a situation where she had to go and do some speedo presentation in new york and then got stuck because of a snowstorm and had been just panic stricken because her husband then had been out of town on a job so she was genius as soon as she found me and figured me out she's like i live a mile away from you, I've been in your shoes, I understand your job, here's my phone number, put me on the approved list, and don't have a meltdown, know that I will, I will be there if you need me to be. And God bless her, she was. Um, so I was fortunate, it was a smaller school, it was attached to our parish. Um, and so between those three women, his first grade teacher um, taught him to make quesadillas. I mean, (laughs) cool. (laughs) So, um, but those people do exist. So don't be shy about reaching out to them. Um, And then there's the family who want to help you. And then you find out they have guns in their house and you're like, thank you so much. Or they always have CNN on and the world trade center is, you know, tumbling down, and right. you're like, Yeah, maybe, maybe they can come for a play date at our house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah I, I feel like the extra help is something that isn't talked about as much. Um, I had just gotten into a rhythm with a girl who works at a high school not too far mm-hmm. from us who needed an, a little bit of extra money, so she would pick up my son from daycare when I was working, get him home, feed him, hang out with him till my partner or I could get home and he's mm-hmm. in the film industry too so I feel like that's something that isn't talked about as much and it's you know trying to make everything work for your yeah. boss for your coworkers, for the production for your family it's, it's really hard so it, it is takes hard. a village <laughs> it
2: does, it does it really does I mean the great news with that is that you will all end up by the time they're grown with uh, young people who are um, much more socially adept at communicating and are much, much more flexible um, and uh, much more conversational, I think, is my experience with the the kids that I know of Alexander's age who, who as long as there's stability. Um, the other great one I learned um, especially with the younger ones, with little ones, um, from another of my girlfriends whose son went to the experimental school at UCLA that goes through the seventh grade seeds, was giving them a decision one, a decision two, and a decision three. And you can start doing this when they're two and a half, three years old. Um, a decision one is, darling, you. this is a decision one. It has to be made by an adult because your safety is concerned. A decision two is a democracy. And you can, these are really fun because you can set them up deliberately so that they feel like they have more control than they really do. And that is the whole, you know, they and their friends and the adults around all get to have a vote on whether you go to the beach or the playground. And everybody gets a vote. And whoever, you know, the, the largest group of vote wins. And then there's a decision three and that means they get to make the decision or they and their friend or their group get to make the decision all by themselves. So guys, it's a decision three. It's <laughs> a decision three. We We've thought about it really hard. Are we going to go for ice cream or are we going to go for frozen yogurt? Are we going to go out for tacos? are we going to go out for dumplings? So you make it completely safe for them, but they learn that it's not always no. Because the biggest challenge I think any of us have, especially in this day and age, is constantly no. Can I have the iPad? No, you can't. Can we turn the TV on? No, you can't. Can I walk to the village with my friends now that I'm 12 years old? No, you can't. Can I take the bus by myself? not until you're 16, you know, it's, it's, it's these endless because they can't, it's not safe. Um,
1: well, I, yeah, I, I don't, I try, or I think the way I learned to parents and it's hard because it's reversing how we are as adults because children's brains, I study a lot about brains, um, are so different. So instead of saying no, you tell them what they can do. Yeah. So it's like, stop jumping on the couch you say sit down and and it it's from a processing point of view because they actually don't process the no so it's not that they're trying to be like defying you but when you I've done so many exercises in classes where um someone's giving you instructions and keeps saying no inside of them and it's like even as an adult we can't always react to those no's so if you can can the c- try it's so hard and I fail at it all the time but I always try instead of stop hitting your brother it's like keep your hands to yourself and so yeah. the more that you can put and it works for everything it's not you know turn off the tv it's yeah like, read a book and it and it it's like, but it takes so much training yeah. but it is effective because it's much easier for kids especially when they're younger to follow those directions yes it's true so yeah it's absolutely true but I agree with what you're saying about the choices. That's another huge thing. And because also they need to learn the ability of how to make a decision Mm -hmm. and how to kind of, all of those things, the more that I I believe, the more you can empower them to be confident and be making those decisions, it's helping their executive functioning.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: Ivy, do you have more questions? Hey, I mean, Kate, you've touched on so many things, but is there anything that you would like to give advice-wise to first-time parents navigating through their careers after we get back from this hiatus, quarantine, pandemic situation, for those of us who are either um, about to have birth, have had birth, or are still pregnant by the time it's all over? <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> I think, I think trust yourself. Trust yourself, trust your abilities. Uh, Remind yourself that you're really talented, creative people that are also extraordinary problem solvers, that every single day that we go to work in our industry is different. And so navigating being a parent and some of those surprises and challenges being different as they move through um, growing up are different. And that each child is different and how you talk to them and how you communicate to them. And really, I think them knowing that they are heard is is a big thing. Um, I didn't take him to work very much that's the only other thing I will say. I know uh, some designers and supervisors do. And I know there are times when one needs to. Um, and I tried to be a little more separate about it. Not completely. It wasn't like I hid him or... Um, I, I do know you said was one of the questions that, did I tell people when I was interviewing for a job that I was a mother and I had a child. No, I didn't, it's none of their damn business. Uh, it's not, and it shouldn't be. Um, I didn't bring him to work very often. In fact, if anything, I would have my cruise going, when are we gonna see Alexander? When are we gonna see Alexander? And I'd be like, ah, he's, you know, he's got his own life. I, I didn't want him to be, um, I heard stories about, you know, one family where the child would finish school and end up sleeping in in the um, locker box underneath the clothes in the trailer. <laughs> on one occasion, <laughs> true story. On one occasion, they were on location in, I think, Boston, and they got halfway through, halfway home, and went,
0: "Where's, where's, uh, where, where?" Oh my god!
2: Two girls, and they had literally <laughs> left her asleep and locked her in the trailer.
1: <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I I, think, I heard that story
2: when our son was still a baby, and maybe I just had a reaction of ah, you know it's like baby the top of the car um, but it wasn 't that he didn't absorb things when I was doing desperate. I worked every single weekend, and he would often come with me when I did studio services at Limmy 's and we put a little studio service tag on him, and the deal was he always got to have lunch with me, and I did teach him numbers um. I did teach him numbers that way Um, and some of the colors and the codes. I'd be like, Mummy needs three more, just this with the number three. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Um, I'm best to that one, but he thought that was sort of entertaining. Mummy, I found one in the BSM. Well, this is pretty. He knew a lot about bras because of that. (laughs) And when he graduated from eighth grade um, by then he knew what double stick tape was. Um, And uh, the girls all for graduation from his, his middle school, all the girls wore little white dresses and it was very pretty. It was out on a, on a grass lawn. And um, they came in an alphabetical order and he was L for Landau, which is my, my partner's last name. And um, my Parents were still alive, my mother was in a wheelchair. and <laughs> The next thing I see is my son in his lovely brand new suit crawling along the grass, going, psst, psst, psst. Uh, what, what, He's like, mm, come here, come, here, come here. So I come <laughs> back, one of his good friends, whose last name was West, um, the whole of the dress had fallen down below the bra.
1: And he's like, uh,
2: double stick.
1: <laughs> so funny
0: so there
2: I was crawling taking this poor girl and, into her dress He's like, see mommy I told you we would need you just trust yourself. I have
1: one more question
2: absolutely I,
1: my, my, so I think we talked a lot about kind of how how you controlled not controlled but how you handled parenting a lot on your personal side. So with the babysitters at home, but from a work point of view, how, how did that go? Did you hire people who understood you were a parent, or how did you navigate it when you were on set and and just in that whole world of, of production? Because so I think my, when you're home, you can yeah. obviously.
2: So I was really lucky. I mean, some people might argue it stinted my career. um, But because actually when I got Desperate Housewives, I didn't do the pilot. um, But I had said to my agent, no more television. And they'd hired somebody to do the series. It wasn't working out. They were just starting episode two. The whole thing was falling apart. And he called me and he said, I know you said no television, but you should look at this. Um, and I nearly didn't watch the pilot. They sent me a copy of the pilot. My husband made watched the pilot. We sat there with a glass of wine and he looked at me and he said, you know what, your agent's right. If you're going to go back into television, you should go in and at least interview on this. So anyway, long story short, that gave me the gift of eight solid years on one show with almost exclusively one team. And uh, one team who knew me, Um, my set girl, my set woman, who um, I love dearly, my principal set woman. She had been with me since before I had Alexander on and off, Um, and so had one of my so had my key costumer. She had worked with me twice before, so I was very lucky. My my other one of my supervisors was new to me, but amazing. The other had again worked with me since just after Alexander was born. So I was very fortunate in the fact that many of them had already worked with me and knew my working style, knew my shorthand. Doesn't mean I didn't work seven days a week. It doesn't mean to say I didn't miss his holiday concert because one of the girls was having a meltdown about an outfit. And I literally drove into the parking lot of the school as they were coming out of the auditorium and sat in the car and wailed for half an hour. I have plenty of those stories. Um, But it did give me the stability. And um, it doesn't mean I didn't come home at 8.30 and 9 o'clock at night. doesn't mean to say I Mm -hmm. left before he was awake in the morning. doesn't mean to say that he was asleep when I got home at night. I would lie to you if I told you it was any different than that. But again, if he was at a swim meet, I was not on my phone. I was not on my tablet. I was there. I was timing. I was handing him towels. I was volunteering. He knew I was there. And I wasn't half there. So um, I'm. it wasn't perfect. But he also grew up understanding that... The reality for most of the world is that both partners work and that if you want to have food on the table and go to a good school and live in a nice neighborhood, uh, Ivy can tell you, I've never bought a lot of expensive clothes. I have a very small closet. We chose to send him to a private school because of the kind of child he was. And we have done very few hot fancy holidays in fact we've done no fancy holidays we've even you know saved up and gone and stayed with family in England which is very cool but we haven't had to deal with a hotel room um we're lucky that we have friends who have a house in Canada um but we haven't been on safari we haven't been down to Baja to see the whale's birth we haven't done a lot of the cool things that you hear some families do and some of the families in our industry do Um, we invested in a cozy house and his education for him. I have no regret around that. But when he said to me, when he was in third grade, fourth grade, he came home and said, mommy, you know, here's my report card. And do I get paid for getting good grades? I was like, no, you don't get paid for getting good grades. You're they're your grades. I did my grades. I do my grades. They're your grades. It's your life. It's your education. So we were very clear that um, we were happy to try and give him what we could. Um, but that it, it didn't, I don't think we were guilt made him, I hope we didn't make him feel guilty about it, but we were honest about it. To your point, you know, we just tried to be straight about stuff.
0: Um,
1: yeah, And I think it's always hard to be straight with them because they don't, I mean, I I try to be very straight with them, but they don't always understand of like parent perspective (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) or that we have other, you know, and especially like you're saying, you picked a specific schooling for that child. And that is such a hard decision to make because Mm -hmm. not all schools work for all children. And so if you do make that decision based on the child and probably also your experience with dyslexia and other things of knowing the importance of, the right schools or the right teachers make all the difference in that child's desire to learn or ability to learn.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My, my husband's uh, tutoring uh, students um, in English right now, and he's an English major and he's amazing, but he, he's got one, one kid who's only in fifth grade who started by having a screaming fit and saying, I hate English. I hate writing. Well, in fact, the kid's a brilliant writer. And two, two and a half, three months later, David's, I mean, they have this great working relationship and this kid loves spending time with my husband. But it's because the, I mean, the, the problem with the teacher, the problem with any of us is we can't be everything to everybody. So it's probably not the teacher's fault. It's just that the teacher's dealing with, what, 20 or 35 kids and has to look at the group. And this one kid isn't actually doesn't fit into that box but the kid is actually amazing you know it's hard
1: but it is possible I think that it is possible and I think as a parent that's where no matter what what kind of money you have that's where you have to come in as a parent and say okay this isn't working for you and I understand the teacher's limitations, but what can I do to help you? And luckily, yeah. like, especially with this quarantine, we've learned there's so many resources for learning yeah. that are not just the traditional ways. And so if you, if you find yourself in that situation with a child who you know is brilliant or has an ability, but they're not getting it, now you can find more resources.
2: Yeah. So there are some gifts that will come out of this that is just hard. Yes. It's really wonderful.
1: How, how has this been for your family? the quarantine and staying home well um i
2: i had this huge list of things i thought i was going to do because i've been on i've been working on location most of the last five years so for me to be home is heaven um i'm not getting through the list because between the guild and the zoom meetings um and the gift that i can sew but that unfortunately my guild and brigitte discovered i do know how to sew um, <laughs> and then how do you say no and I'm lucky enough to you know have what I have and uh, how do you say no to doing that to help other people I, I don't know um, my son is working at home at the moment uh, he has a job here in LA so it's really cool to spend the time with him um, and hopefully we're not too annoying to a just 24 year old I think it's most difficult curiously enough for for, for David um, but he drives to the guild Monday Wednesday and Friday to deliver and pick up masks and he's been doing the grocery stores because um and um yeah it's I'm learning a lot more about the birds that live in my garden <laughs> um, and I think also you learn differently from your friends and your community when you're just talking to them and there's no other distraction. So that's actually rather interesting. I've had some really wonderful chats with, um, with close friends uh, through Zoom or FaceTime and it's different in a time of quarantine than it was when it was just like, hi, just checking in. Bye. Oh gosh, phone's ringing. You know, I've got to get in the car. Yeah. It's just a little different right now. I've met some new neighbors. I didn't know I had walking.
1: So yeah. How about you guys? Ivy, do you want to go? Oh, I'm napping because I'm, I'm <laughs> a child. So I I've never had this much sleep <laughs> in my life. And, and I actually think this quarantine has been a blessing because I, haven't stopped in six years, so I'm I'm thankful. I want to go back to work, but it's <laughs> been a nice break. And and the fact that that Jess and Kate and I could come up with something that is going to help me and yeah. the future moms and dads really means a lot to me. So it's it's been a really great time. Uh, sad yeah. for a lot of things, but for me, it's been good. It's
0: been good for me in a strange, in case you wanna- strange way. Yeah, it's been actually pretty nice because uh-huh. you know my boyfriend and I are home. We're both learning more about our son we get to spend a lot of time with him and you know working on house projects but um just really getting clay on a schedule has been very nice and both feeling like we you know if one of us is gone the other one knows what he wants he's communicating more now he's pointing to things he knows what he wants and um it's it's been kind of nice you know to figure it out together i know when um when Alex went back to work and I was home it I felt kind of like left out like I felt you know I'm all by myself with this baby and but but with both of us together it makes it a little bit easier because we can do Mm -hmm. shifts and if someone needs a little space or right now like hey I want to get on this call um so we're we're all trying to manage our time and give each other space but also really get to hang out with Clay and and that's been really great. And he's at a really fun age. So wow. we, <laughs> and the dog is loving it. We're doing three walks a day. So that's nice. Um, so yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and the other spectrum of that career wise, I'm constantly thinking like, what can I be doing? What should I be thinking of? How can I help? You know, It's hard for me to make masks because I still have this little child who's running around. I don't have a lot of time. You know, to sit down. So we, we did, um, I did gather some money from some other customers and we brought the girls at the guild lunch a couple days. So, you, Thank know, trying, you. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah. And so I'm trying to think of That's little very, things. Very that, yeah, little things that I can do to help support charities or nonprofits, but without, you know, going out into the world because I've got to think of my family now so yeah it's kind of like a constant
2: it's a juggle for everybody but the fact that you've done that is amazing and if you never do it again that's okay too
0: (laughs) good yeah thank you you. uh, trying to figure out how to (laughs) solve
2: yeah it's um i think the the secret is to to do what you can do that you're comfortable doing and and not beat yourself up because you'll never have this this kind of time with him at this age ever again. So enjoy that and give yourself permission to to have fun with that and hold on to those memories because they're fleeting. They're great, yeah. but
1: they're fleeting.
0: And Jess, you've been in Florida? Are you at your in-laws? Oh,
1: yeah, I've, I've been in Florida. Yes, my in-laws gave us their house. So we've we've been in our favorite place that we could ever live in or be in. And it's, it's just been surreal because I, I have my own company. And so the pressure or my self-inflicted pressure of, I should be doing this, or I could be doing this, but then the reality of taking care of the humans (laughs) that are surrounding me 24 seven and the amount of work, because I've always been lucky enough to have help since I have the company with either with, with, helping with taking care of them or helping with their schoolwork and I'm very involved and I work a lot of times from home but it's just it's a new level of you know again doing everything and then on top of it doing the work stuff and so I'm still every day have lots of frustrations or interrupt I think that's the biggest thing is when I'm home and I have the help Um, I know I can have a solid four hours of work or eight hours of work Mm -hmm. or 10 hours. And now it's like, if I get, I mean, this being able to be on a call for an hour, not, I I actually have been interrupted four or five times, (laughs) but like not having uninterrupted time is challenging for me. And so I'm constantly trying to reconcile that in myself. And like you said, Kate, it's like, this is the only, probably the only time in my life that I'm going to have this, and both kids are going through transitions towards their last years of their school, and so we have a lot of big life stuff going on, and so for me, trying to ease into that and, and, and be okay with the work stuff not being, you know, perfect or as I want it, and just kind of going with it um, is a struggle, especially because when I entered the year, this is that big year of changing a lot of stuff in work and getting it really organized and doing things very differently. And now like you have, you just realize how little control of that you have. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know if that's made any sense, but that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's very kind of grateful and thankful that we're healthy, that everyone's safe, but then also trying to just personally let go of the frustration and just kind of live in the moment and be present. Yeah, that makes sense. So thank you for that reminder. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kate, for the, being the on Call of Duty Present. It's true. <laughs> yes. Thank you. My you for sharing all of your wisdom with
2: us. I don't know it's wisdom, but it's it's certainly adventure. It's um
1: no, I think you actually shared a lot of wisdom, especially in the beginning. You gave so many tactical tips, which I I can't wait to watch again and, and remember all of them. So thank you.
2: Well, Ivy knows how to find me.
1: Yes. Good luck with the oh, IA. Yeah, I can't I can't wait well, to hear about it.
2: <laughs> Whoop de do. I think you guys are a lot more fun. <laughs> I think. Way more fun. I should have emailed and said, I'm so sorry i'm going to be i'm on another simple already much more interesting much more fun Tr- trust yourselves you're you're very bright intelligent smart creative women and nobody even if you're tired even if they've kept you up with flu or cranky tummies um Nobody can take that away from you. And don't let anybody take that away from you. Don't let them doubt. Don't let them drive a wedge of doubt or, oh, you're just being stupid or you're being a stupid woman or what do you know? You know a lot. You know a lot. You wouldn't be who you are and you wouldn't be doing what you're doing if you weren't. So uh, tell them to fuck off, basically. Just do it with an English accent. You'll be fine.
1: It's (laughs) much posher when it comes with an English accent, for sure. Yeah, we're gonna have to practice that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So
0: anyway, all right, all right. Well, thanks, Kate. Have a great thank you so much. Thank you.